us is starting today. <laughs> uh, it's your turn. Are you sure? I think it's yours. Um, I think I closed it yesterday. I it's, uh, well, anyway, what number are we on? We're on 55. Uh, welcome to episode 55 of... <laughs> Effectively Wild is the name of the show. Uh, the Daily Podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller. I'm with Ben Lindbergh in New York, New York. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I Great. I feel like, considering how this has gone, we should maybe just watch the A's game or something. And people can uh, listen to us do that. I was literally watching the A's game. Yeah. And, and that now part of the reason that this happened. Um, interrupted us. Uh, do you have any announcements? I have one. Uh, announcements? No, I don't think so. Um, I got a uh, note from a employee of the Texas Rangers who told me that uh, they have had crickets that just shorted out two of their PCs uh, in the ballpark. So crickets have uh, moved beyond the dugout. They are now taking over the front office as well. Yeah, my interpretation of that was that the PCs had shorted out the crickets. Uh... Crickets have shorted out. The real no. tragedy here is the, the cricket deaths. Computers can be replaced. So that's the cricket news for the day. Uh, do you have baseball news for the day? Uh, yeah, I thought we could uh, talk a little bit about the Safeco field changes. And I will talk about um, Japanese players. Okay. Um, Go ahead. Okay. So the Mariners, after years of whispers or stories about whether they would consider changing the dimensions of Safeco Field are going to change the dimensions of Safeco Field. And this is something we've seen in City Field and at Comerica and at, at other large ballparks. There's just sort of a, a pressure to conform. Uh, if a ballpark is too hitter-friendly or too pitcher-friendly, it's like the weird kid at school who dresses funny and listens to strange music and 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 everyone feels uncomfortable and wishes that they would just be more like everyone else. And so uh, Safeco is the latest ballpark to undergo this process, or it will for the 2013 season. And basically the, the changes, uh, right field is, is pretty much staying the same, but the fences are moving in a minimum of four feet and a maximum of 17 feet. Uh, the scoreboard that's in left and is in play will be relocated, and the fence height in left will be dropped from 16 feet to 8 feet. Uh, and so this will change the, the profile of the park considerably. Uh, the, the power alley, which is kind of a misnomer in this case, in left field, in left center, uh, has long been the bane of right-handed batters in Safeco, and will now be less so. Um, you can't really tell exactly what these changes will do, uh, but it seems like Safeco will probably still lean towards pitchers, but not as dramatically as it has in the past. So uh, up until now, it's it's kind of been maybe second only to Petco in terms of pitcher friendliness. And... I mean, I asked Colin Wires earlier tonight to, at some point, write about this um, in a more uh, rigorous way, but I thought we could just kind of wing it and talk about whether you think it's uh, something that makes sense in the Mariners' case or in the abstract. 
It is. Um, it seems so weird that extreme ballparks have not translated into a bigger home field advantage. Um, and uh, I'm not sure why a team uh, hasn't really figured out a way to engineer their ballpark in a successful way. It seems like they should. It seems as though uh, generally you hear it talked about as though they do. But when you look at um, teams with the best, uh, biggest home field advantage um, over the course of a number of years, um, you really don't find a consistency um, with the extremeness of the park and uh, the team's advantage. I don't know why that is. And um, so I, that's just one thing. I'm, I uh, personally uh, like the idea of having more extreme ballparks, but um, you want it to be recognizable as baseball. I think Safeco was. I think probably a bit much, well, I guess I don't know that I totally want to say this conclusively because maybe, the, I mean, the Mariners do know a lot more than I do, but I think a bit much has been made of the Mariners uh, park factor this year um, in which they are, um, uh, their split, their home road split rivals the the Padres' typical road home split. Um, and so that is sort of taken as evidence that Safeco has gotten more pitcher friendly and that it has become a real problem. And I don't think I accept that. Um, as far as I can tell, well, for one thing, I, I don't think anything has changed um, other than maybe some like weather patterns. Um, but the Mariners last year uh, were last in the American League in home OPS. They were last in the American League in road OPS. This year they are last in the American League in home OPS, and they have become sort of shockingly league average on the road. And to me, the, the uh, this is probably more likely um, the fluke is how they've done on the road because um, they haven't really reconstructed their offense in any significant way. It doesn't seem like they're a better offense in any significant way. And teams do sometimes, I mean, even a year is not enough to smooth out all the uh, fluctuation of of these sorts of splits. So my guess is that um, this might be, to some degree, a response to a a problem that wasn't really there. Mm -hmm. Um, Safeco is, of course, a very uh, hitter-unfriendly park. And, I mean, it's sort of, I was thinking, I I think about this actually a lot, but uh, there was a multiple year period where we all thought not we all but most of the world thought that adrian beltre was bad at baseball and that's kind of uh and mike cameron, i guess and mike cameron yeah mm-hmm. um yeah mike cameron as well so anyway uh i don't know i i, I can't speak to how it's going to change things i, I know that i think it was colin uh, and i think that's probably why you brought him up was talking about how he thought the changes were fairly subtle so maybe they are mm-hmm. um so maybe we won't even really be talking about this next year, but um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Jeff Sullivan pointed out that the city field changes that were made before this season, um, and were also fairly subtle, uh, city field scoring is down this year, despite those changes to make it uh, slightly more hitter friendly. Um, and. So, yeah, I don't know that you can necessarily anticipate how it will play over one year. I also saw a recent story that claimed at least that the Mets opponents had benefited more from those changes than the Mets had, just kind of by looking at at home runs that wouldn't have been home runs in the previous alignment of the park and saying that the visiting team's number outnumbered the Mets' number. Um, I guess, I mean, the thing that always 
comes up and why this is always talked about and why the Padres are still talking about it and I bet we'll eventually do the same thing um, is that hitters complain about it and they don't like seeing long fly balls that would be home runs in other parks not go out in their park and so there's the fear that there's some sort of psychological effect uh, and that either that psychological effect will compound the pitcher friendliness of the park and in some way make those hitters discouraged in a way that would affect their approach at the plate and make them less likely to hit home runs or hit other types of hits, uh, even above and beyond the the construction of the park. Uh, And there's the fear that it will be harder to keep those players or be harder to attract players to your park. which I guess are legitimate concerns. Uh, Sullivan's point or his belief is that it would help in roster construction because the Mariners kind of have more options now in what kind of hitter they can target. They don't have to focus so much on on lefty hitters, uh, and maybe they would find right-handed hitters more receptive to coming to the Mariners. So I guess there could be something to that. Of course, you don't really know whether it's a a zero-sum gain and if you're having if you're correcting some psychological effect for your hitters maybe you're just doing the opposite for your pitchers um yeah you would think there would that would be the case and you would think that for every uh disgruntled hitter you'd have a happy pitcher and of course everybody's going to be happy when they're winning um but there was uh when when we used to go backpacking when i was a kid um my dad would point out that uh the amount of frustration of going uphill is always much greater than the amount of relief going downhill and so even if pitchers are aware of their happiness they're they're probably not going to be quite so vocal in their happiness as the hitters are unvocal or uh, vocal in their unhappiness and uh, so yeah the probably the uh, if, if you're simply worried about making people happy the uh, equation will probably always shift toward negative when you uh, go out on the extremes mm-hmm. uh well i guess my inclination or gut feeling is that these sort of changes don't have a huge effect and that they're not going to make a bad team good or a good team bad and uh, at most it's just kind of a minor change and that I I don't know I I would say if you don't think it's going to make a major difference in how your team does I think maybe it's worth it just to kind of take the specter of the pitcher's park away and not have hitters worrying about it and not have people writing about it and just not have it in the back of anyone's mind. Um, yes. Although I am sorry to lose the extreme parks because extreme parks are fun. And one of the things that sets baseball apart from most other sports is that the parks are shaped differently and the playing surfaces are shaped differently, which is really, really strange when you stop to think about it. Um, but it is definitely part of the appeal for me. Uh, not that anyone is necessarily fooled by park factors anymore, or um, not to the extent maybe that they once were, but it's still kind of fun. It adds another layer uh, of analysis and and just kind of adds another wrinkle, I guess, that you can consider how a park might have affected someone's stats. I would be sorry if we did end up in, in some version of baseball where every park was more or less neutral in the same dimension. That would be disappointing. 
Um, let's talk about mine now. Okay. Um, so two uh, Japanese position players are currently in the news. Uh, Suyoshi Nishioka uh, voluntarily uh, walked away from the third year of his contract with the Twins, uh, which is a nice thing to do because he was uh, involuntarily not being allowed to play baseball for them any longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Norieoki is a Rookie of the Year contender in his obviously first year with the Brewers. And the um, uh, the pairing, the reason that I paired them, is that um, this is totally against expectations for what each of them was supposed to do. Uh, Nishioka had a uh, pretty good uh, amount of, uh, you know, I, I don't know, hype might be a little bit overselling it. He was well-regarded coming over. He was supposed to be um, a very useful uh, middle infielder in the American League. The thought was that he was going to have a high batting average and a lot of steals, and he was a trendy fantasy pick before 2011, and he has actually been um, maybe the worst player in baseball over those two years, and he has uh, been the worst Japanese position player um, by baseball references model uh, ever. Um, whereas Aoki was an afterthought, and um, I think we mentioned it on the show before, RJ once wrote about the circumstances of signing him, and it, it kind of appears that the Brewers accidentally got him. <laughs> they bid without mm-hmm. uh, much intent, and they were surprised when he ended up on their team. Um, he wasn't a starter coming out of spring training, and he has had um, a great year, and in fact, he is arguably the third best Japanese player ever already he uh i guess one way of looking at it he is the uh he has the highest uh season of war by any japanese player not named ichiro or matsui that gives him the 13th best season ever by a japanese born player because matsui and ichiro have had plenty of good seasons but nonetheless it is a very good season and um you can also look at um if you wanted to you could find a similar um a sort of extreme in the pitching side where uh, Kei Igawa, who the Yankees spent about $50 million to get, is um, possibly the worst Japanese-born pitcher ever, and Takashi Saito, who was signed for $1 million by the Dodgers, is probably the third best pitcher ever to come over from Japan. Mm-hmm. And so the reason that I bring it is I just want to know whether you think that it's just typical, classic, can't-predict-baseballness, or if you think that um, there's something just vexingly impossible about scouting Japanese players, and if it's something that we need to um, factor into the math when we uh, when we scout or sign or project these players, um, because the thing is that Japanese baseball is uh, somewhere between AAA level and Major League level as far as talent. It should be extremely easy to scout. It should be extremely easy to project, and yet it really is not, mm-hmm. unless my anecdotes are cherry-picked <laughs> and not representative, which I don't think they are. Although I haven't done the I haven't done the spreadsheet. I will do the spreadsheet at some point, but I have not done it yet. And then, of course, there's Kawasaki, who you didn't even bring up, but who is hitting 196, 255, 206 for the Mariners this year in 112 mm-hmm. plate appearances. Um, in Safeco, of course, in the pre-fence-moving Safeco. Uh, how did Nishioka and Aoki's numbers compare in Japan? Do you know? Just sort of roughly? Uh, I mean... 
Yeah. I, uh, well, okay. So Nishioka in um, in his last year in Japan, he was 25 in his final year in Japan, and he hit 346, 423, 482. Mm-hmm. Um, that was his tier by far. But he was a he was about an 800 OPS guy before that. Mm-hmm. He um, he hit 11 home runs in his final year. And um, Aoki, who is 30 this year, so mm-hmm. he was 29 last year. In his final year in Japan, he hit 292, 358, 360, huh. um, which is to say he hit a little bit worse than he's doing this year, about 70 points of slugging than he is this year in the majors. So he has improved his numbers. He has the... improved, yes. Hmm. Uh, well, I, I can't imagine that you would ever predict someone to come from the NPB to MLB and improve at age 30 or so. Um, I don't know. Certainly looking just at the stats and doing a pure translation, this is exactly the opposite of what you would have projected for these players. Um, So I guess it, I mean, it comes down to scouting, of course. I mean, if it's somewhere between AAA level and MLB, then of course, you could come up with examples of AAA hitters who hit really well in AAA and never hit in the majors. Or uh, I guess you could probably find examples of guys who improved at some point after their promotion. You could, but doesn't, I mean, isn't uh, my gut feeling, again, without having done the, the spreadsheet, my gut feeling, and isn't it your gut feeling that these guys almost seem to follow no pattern, <laughs> that that whether you sign for a million or seven million or whatever, you have... Uh, you know, basically like no better shot or worse shot of becoming an impact player. It does sort of seem like that. Um, again, anecdotally, anecdotally uh, I guess, I mean, the thing with Darvish, at least when he came over, uh, was that he had the stuff that convinced everyone that his uh, skills would translate to the majors, that he threw hard enough and had the secondary pitches and, and wasn't just based on deception or, or uh, you know, things that might work in the Japanese league that might not work in the majors. He was clearly, I guess you could say, an American-style player. Um, and I don't know, I guess with the hitters, there's always the concern that they won't be able to handle major league fastballs and perhaps if they if they have this sort of batting stance where they kind of start running before they hit, uh, which has obviously worked very well for Ichiro, but maybe doesn't work so well for someone without Ichiro's speed or bat control. Um, there's always the concern that it will translate. And I, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, certainly I think the amount of money that a team is willing to pay for a player is, is tied directly to, their scouting reports on him and and how they believe it will translate and yeah as you say there have been certainly many examples of highly touted players not panning out and vice versa so i asked jason parks about this Mm -hmm. and uh, i wanted to know whether scouting is uh is much more difficult uh than it should be given the talent level and uh, i asked him specifically whether the, the the sort of different philosophy of Japanese hitters and pitchers, a very low walks, low strikeouts philosophy, mm-hmm. uh, makes the game too different to really compare in a way that AAA 
uh, and baseball are not different from each other. Um, and he says, uh, the style issues you mentioned are legit. It's a different game over there played a different way with different philosophies. It's very difficult to play a game a certain way for years and then have to change it against superior athletes at a superior level. Age is a big issue. It's next to impossible to teach a seasoned adult anything at a high level that requires cognitive abilities developed as children slash adolescents. He also said, most Japanese hitters have tremendous back control and hand-eye coordination, and given the heavy dose of breaking balls they see in Japan, most have good pitch, pitch recognition and reaction skills. Strength is often an issue, as are the sweepy swings that allow for slap contact, but not much pop. And, um, you know, I was watching, I mean, I'm certainly not the expert on this, so uh, this is was just sort of my reaction, but when I was watching Yu um, Darvish, particularly in the first half, um, you could sort of project on him this background where um, he was not facing pitchers, or batters who were willing to take a walk, uh, and so he could, um, you know, he, he could really pitch... Um, without having to, to go anywhere near the center of the strike zone, mm-hmm. um, or he preferred to pitch that way. And major league hitters um, seem to to be perfectly happy to take a walk, and, and especially now in this in this era, in this generation, they want to take walks, they want to work counts. And um, it seems to me that Darvish's second half, in a lot of ways, the difference is that he now does not work around the edges. He trusts his stuff. He throws strikes, and he knows that batters are going to take pitches if he's um, if he's if he's on the edges. And I just wonder how much that matters um, for all pitchers, knowing that the game plan is going to be totally different. That um, you're going to have a, a different. Uh, I mean, you're just it's a it's a different game. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's probably more different than we we give it credit for and i imagine that for scouts that translation is also hard to factor in yeah so and we've we've talked i think before on the podcast about uh kevin goldstein's objection to minor league equivalencies or uh you know translations of minor league stats that it's just a a completely different game and that something that works on one level might not work on the next so i mean if you're if you're a hitter in japan who has possibly never seen a, you know, a high 90s fastball, um, except for maybe Darvish. Uh, if you've never seen one, it can maybe be hard to say how you'll do when you do see one. Um, and so that could be an issue. And, and I guess uh, there's maybe something to be said for the culture shock of coming from Japan to the United States and maybe your level of, of comfort and familiarity with that culture and with that change um, could be something that other guys handle better than than other guys. And uh, that is not necessarily something that you can project either. So there's that. There's that. Uh, and that's that. We're going to end it now. We're going to be back tomorrow with a very special episode that you guys will um, be informed of. Um, so... That's it. See ya.